0: I think that they recognize that they have to build stuff that they can be prepared to walk by and smile and not rush by and hide their faces.
1: Welcome to Design Makes Everything Better, a podcast about design as a process for making decisions and succeeding. Today on episode number five, Vince interviews Mike Savage, a president of the World Energy Cities Partnership, Bloomberg-Harvard City Leadership Member, and Mayor of Halifax Regional Municipality. Now here's your host, Vince.
2: Hello listeners, thanks again for checking in to our latest episode. Today we'll be introducing you to Mike Savage, who is the Mayor of Halifax. And in the context of our podcast, it's interesting to have a conversation with somebody who is not operating in the field of design specifically, but creates policies and rallies people to create the framework of which we can work within. And it's an important piece to understand how they do that, who they talk to, and um, their value systems. Is it, uh, it makes sense for anybody who's designing areas within the city that they understand what uh, governing policies are in place that can make our lives easier, or even maybe hopefully not, but can make it more challenging. Mike Savage has a great mandate, which very much falls in line with a lot of the principles we share in the office, which is to create a city that is sustainable, entrepreneurial and inclusive, and to do so, so it becomes recognized as one of the best in the country that we live in. And for those listeners that uh, might not know where we're from, we're from Halifax, and uh, that is located in Nova Scotia, which is a province within Canada. And I think it's important to reference that because the craziest thing that our team here at the office um, has recognized is we have listeners that are global, um, listeners from Australia, listeners from all over Europe. And um, it's, it's quite exciting for us to know that when we're getting off our desks and sitting in our boardroom and meeting with people, that um, there are others out there that find that valuable for them and that it's worth us doing. And uh, we will continue to do so. So please be sure to subscribe if you haven't yet and uh, tell friends and like, because uh, if we know that there are people out there, we will continue to bring this material out to you. I hope you enjoy the podcast uh, episode and um, we'll check in and hopefully hear from you soon. (laughs) Well, Mr. Mayor, thank you very much for joining us on Design Makes Everything Better. Congratulations on your landslide victory into your third term. I must feel good to be uh, so well supported.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'm very pleased to have the opportunity to do this. That that election seems like years ago, not months yeah. ago. And uh, But, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's always good to have a chance to... Uh, Talk to people about the issues, and of course, we came out of that election with gender parity, which is a on council eight men, eight women, and a mayor, and that's pretty amazing because we only had two before. So, some positive things came out of the election.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I would say that it falls very much in line with your mandate, which was uh, from the very beginning something that I've seen and I've always really loved and and I've been excited to see it play out, which is to make Halifax the most livable, entrepreneurial, and inclusive city in. In Canada, well, you guys and, do your homework. Well, it just I I follow what is in fact that was a century
0: I, I, ago. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, it's still it's still relevant, right? And even to bring up how the uh, the equality exists now amongst the councillors is a yeah. is a big signal.
0: I think so. And we have our first black female councillor as well in Iona Stoddard. So there's a number of things that have happened in the election that I think position as well to understand more points of view within the municipality. And really that's what governing is about.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have listeners that are, surprisingly, we we have a global interest. And um, I actually thought when we started this, that it might've been just my family and some friends and colleagues to listen to this, but it's great to see that there is an appetite for people, all things around the world of design. So for those that may not know Halifax at all, if you were to kind of give Halifax the elevator pitch to somebody in Europe, say, that uh, has never heard of it. Well, how would you describe Halifax to them?
0: It's a good question. I would I would probably say that we are a mid-sized city with large city ambitions and a small city friendliness. I think we're a, we're a city that's growing. So we're mm-hmm. a growing city. We're taking advantage of some of the opportunities that come with being a mid-sized city that, that does want to reach out a little bit higher. Um, we're a city that's been growing in areas we hadn't before, like technology, uh, as an example, and taking advantage of those creator-given benefits, like being on a great harbor and uh, being well located. And I, that, I mean, that's that's a, that's more than an elevator pitch. But I think mm-hmm. we're a mid-sized city on the move that intends to uh, embrace the world and bring it to Halifax and make us all better at that uh, at the same time.
2: In uh, 2019, you and Everybody that is with you declared Halifax in a state of climate crisis. Um, How has that, uh, looking back on it over the last few years, how have you seen the response from citizens of Halifax? And um, how has that been working? Has it been successful in terms of what you'd hope that it would do?
0: Right. Yeah, we were one of the first cities in Canada to to declare a climate emergency. I got to give Richard Zarowski, our former councillor, props on that. He bought it forward. I know there was some skepticism from people saying, why are we doing this? But it was supported. And I do think that it's lent credence to the argument that we have to do more. We have to do more more quickly and we have to take our role very seriously. We have good people on staff. Shannon Miedema heads up our environmental initiatives. So, we declared the climate emergency in 2019. In 2020, during the COVID crisis, we then passed Halifax, which is our climate plan, which I think is one of the best municipal climate action plans in Canada or North America. We're a coastal city, as a city on the water. There's uh, blessings that come with that, and there's curses that come with that. Uh, you know, 100 years ago, we had the Halifax explosion, uh, but great. Rich riches and wealth has come from the ocean as well, but things like storm surge, sea level rise, we see those effects. yeah flooding, we see those effects. So climate has a big impact on us, and um, I think that, that it's incumbent upon us to to do whatever we can to mitigate against those uh, impacts and not just wait till tragedies happen and then try to recover. with such
2: a, a specific outline of goals being zero emissions by 2050 is is huge. Like that, the amount of momentum that we need as a city, as a collection of people to make those changes is, it's significant. In the world that we live in, where we work closely with developers and city builders and planners, so I was, I was surprised that I don't hear it enough in conversation Have you found that to be a challenge to get people to focus on that? Is it COVID related
0: or how can we make it more significant today? So I think it's growing in significance and recognition all the time. We have bought our Halifax plan to, we've created a a mayor's advisory council on the green economy, as well as a mayor's advisory council on housing and on transportation. But the first one was on the green economy. We have had Shannon come and present to our university uh, presidents who all take this very seriously. I think it's a it's a growing issue. You know, we originally called it Halifact 2050. And I've had the opportunity the last couple of years to work with uh, Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, who has put a lot of money into city building. Yeah. And he put together this group of 40 mayors from around the world, um, which I got to be part of. And one of the things that Bloomberg said that had a big impact on me was when people talk about net zero by 2050, particularly politicians, call bullshit on them uh, because most of them won't be alive, let alone in office in 2050. The the timeline has to be much quicker than that. So as a city, I'm proud of the fact that we have said, yes, 2050 net zero in the community. But by 2030, we want to be net zero emissions in the city. So our operations, our buildings, our fleet, our buses, all that stuff, we want, to be, we want to put our money where our mouth is. It's going to cost some money. But in the long run, it creates jobs. It really does. And it creates a better economy and more opportunity. I have to say that I feel
2: at times a little suspicious that it's not going to translate into noted action by developers, by retailers, by people in their own homes that can make some of those changes. So do you see a movement towards policymaking that can really force some of those changes to happen?
0: Yeah, we, as a city, we have some policies now in terms of where you can develop and where you can't. And there will have to be, be, uh, be more policies to make sure that we're building in areas that, that make sense. We have people who live in floodplains in HRM. Um, makes no sense. We we so yeah. I do see action, and I, I think it's a combination of advocacy, you know, common sense. But I also believe that there has to be financial aspect to this. Some people do it altruistically, and that's great. You know, we have our solar city program, which allows people to put solar panels on their roof and pay for it on the property tax over a period of time makes it much more affordable. Some people do it, whether it makes economic sense or not. But I do think that there's a behavioral aspect of this that has to be driven by financial incentive or even financial penalty. And that's why I think a price on carbon is essential. But I also think that there isn't a wide recognition in the community that that action on climate change is in fact good for the economy, that the countries in the world that are really tackling this in a serious way, and I think you're going to see the U.S. stepping up a lot more under this president than the last president, thank heavens, that there's going to be support for those industries, whether it's solar, whether it's wind, could be tidal, that there has to be incentive and there has to be penalty for for the carbon that you produce. We're fighting a similar
2: fight, right? And um I sometimes feel like a, a a bit of an alone voice in the room when we say we cannot build this building this way. We have to be better. And that financial incentive that you're talking about that could help towards making some of these changes aren't necessarily there yet. There isn't enough of that collective fear that we have in COVID, which I know can exist then as a people, but we don't have that yet for our environmental crisis. Like it just doesn't, it's 2050 is a long time away. 2030 is even a long time away, even though it's only nine years. So how can we make it
0: more urgent? At the end of the day, we all react to market pressures. And I think that the development community that I see in Halifax, they're building buildings that I think are a lot better than I see in other cities and a lot better than development we had before say 2010 with little regard. I mean, we're not far from the granary lofts where my uh, daughter's going to be moving into, which is one of the you know, most environmentally high standard buildings uh, in the country. And I think people will react. I think people want to live. People want to be able to demonstrate that they live in, in buildings that are environmentally uh, stellar. And I think a lot of the, as, as it, in the same way as it is with affordable housing, that I think the development community has moved to realize that this is good for everybody when we, when we do things in the right way. Are we there fast enough i don't know it's not, i can't really judge it i don't know that i think we're doing better than we have before and you know where people live and how they live is important you know for a long time our downtown was really kind of decaying we have the infrastructure here we don't have to rip up the, we don't have to put in water we don't have to the transit already exists we have the services in the downtown and focusing on that the last number of years i think that's been good for the environment and it gives us an opportunity to look at other areas now where we can develop environmentally friendly ways as well. So the market dictates some of it, uh, conscience dictates some of it. More and more, the developers are building stuff that has more of an environmental focus, and is you know you don't see buildings like we saw before that would take up the entire space of the land that's owned. You know, going directly up creating wind tunnels, no green space, no walkways, uh, wind tunnels. I think we're, I I personally am a big fan of our development community because most of the developers who develop here live here. Uh, A lot of them cycle here or walk here. And they're not owned by numbered companies that are somewhere else like some cities are. And so I think that they recognize that they have to build stuff that they can be prepared to walk by and smile and not rush by and hide their faces. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I, I would completely agree with that. There's the sense of, of ownership or the developments and, and pride that does exist is, is certainly evident yeah. on, on many
0: of our clients that I have. And that's, and we need buildings. We, you know, we're, we're approving four to 40, 4,500 units a year. Our population has been growing by, you know, nine to 10,000. So, you know, you need a lot of units, those mm-hmm. families aren't big anymore. So, and a lot of those folks are coming from around the world, and they need a place to live, and they want to live on a transit line. They want to live close to services. You know, they don't need to live in the you know one and a half acre lots that they used to uh, uh, demand. There's a place for everybody in our, I think, in our municipality. But I, I do think that you know our downtowns are special, and I've always felt that a, a successful downtown is where lots of people live together. All ages, all incomes, all languages, all religions, all foods, all histories, all experiences—young and old—and if you can build that kind of a space in our city, then people live together naturally and, and harmoniously. If you build areas where like people live, whether you're whether it's income or or you know, background, ethnicity—I don't like people. I don't like these isolated communities of people who all look and talk the same. Yeah. So I think that, you know, our developments have an opportunity to bring people together.
2: Yeah. The greatest cities have a great deal of diversity and, yeah. and interests and people. Yeah. It's, it's and great. that was,
0: that's not always naturally easy for a city like Halifax, which was pretty traditional. Yeah. And now that we're becoming much more international, I think it's a good thing.
2: Yeah. I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm curious, like when you've described our downtowns in Halifax, and I think for some people that might be listening to this, wouldn't understand that Halifax's HRM consists of Halifax as a county, which is a great deal of rural and suburban area.
0: 5,500 square kilometers.
2: It's it's amazing, right? It's, like it's uh, you know, the the time that it takes to just drive across on a non-busy day, probably in the neighborhood of two and a half or three hours or something, right? So it's it's huge. So I'm curious about Uh, the tension that exists between those different areas and how you can get all of those voices heard. How do you begin to understand the balance that is necessary between the voice in a rural community and the voice of residents in, in the city
0: of downtown Halifax? So to me, I've always felt that we need to look at HRM and its whole size not as a challenge but as an opportunity and you know when i sell halifax and i've taken halifax on the road a lot with the halifax partnership we have a whole sell halifax philosophy we've been selling for five or six years and i don't just talk about a beautiful downtown which is important you know the most craft beer companies per capita Mm -hmm. the most bars in canada per capita life it Coffee shops—that's beautiful. But I also talk about the Hundred Wild Islands, and I talk about the advantage of being able to live in a downtown and being five minutes away from a pub, but twenty minutes away from a lake, and you know, half an hour away from being paddling on a beautiful, pristine lake. Because I think those are advantages. There's advantages all over the um, the municipality, and people want options. So right now, where people are coming to Halifax and are looking for housing. Some people want to live downtown. That's not where I live. I live in the suburbs. That suits me and my family. But you have to focus. And so we were able to get council to focus on the downtown and realize that if you're going to put money into a convention center and a beautiful library and discovery center, then it's to the benefit of everybody. The key is, as politicians, is to speak with the same voice in Sheet Harbor that you do in downtown Halifax. You can't go to Sheet Harbor and say Halifax gets everything. You can't go to Halifax downtown and say we're subsidizing other parts of the municipality. You either believe in your gut that it works or you don't. We're big. We're the only city in Canada that's as big as a province. And so we're big. So we can argue about it all day long. We could say maybe we should hive off part of HRM and just have a government for the central part of it. But then that doesn't solve any problem. Then you've got another area within HRM with very little tax base. But I think have assets for the municipality together, and I I, I like going to the exhibition in uh, in Middle Muscadomet. I like uh, I, I like going to Sheet Harbor and and, and talking to the to the uh, Chamber of Commerce there. I'm proud of the fact that as a city we're investing in the Eastern Shore Lifestyle Center in Sheet Harbor. The B.L.T. needs a new rec center. These are all assets for the municipality. So I I, I think we work the way it is now. Mm-hmm will never be completely happy. I always tell people the one thing that unites everybody in HRM is the common view that they're getting screwed more than anybody else. Right. <laughs> but you know what? That's, that's life, right?
2: Yeah. One thing that's always kind of fascinated me about your role is you have to hold, not just as what I was mentioning earlier, the tension between the rural and urban, but the different needs and the ways that people think on a day-to-day basis, their, their mental models of all of these different people, is, it really makes a kind of complex environment that you need to make decisions. And in the world that we live in as designers, um, whether or not we're working for a, uh, a client that has a number of customers, we have to ask all of those customers, as many as possible through surveys and so on, what they feel about a particular challenge that our clients have asked us to work on. Do you lean on advisors to help you understand what the different voices are? Or how do you how do you connect with all of those different voices from such a huge area? Like what, what does that look like and how do you how do you sift
0: through all of that white noise that might be there? We do have elected representatives across the municipality. And I lean on I lean on them. I mean, I spent, you know, a fair bit of time talk about what's happening in their district. And as a mayor, you, I think, have not only the opportunity, but the responsibility to actually get out and talk to people in their communities and find out, you know, what is on their minds. And um, you just have to, I really believe, not be two-faced about it. And you have to be honest with people about the benefits to everybody if we if we succeed together. And then uh, also recognize that their concerns are legitimate. And, uh, you know, it's not a matter of I'm right and you're wrong. That We can both be right, yeah. you know, to some extent. The ability
2: to have an understanding of planning or architecture or the movement of goods, the all the different things that go into having that sort of that complex ecosystem of a city. How do you go about selecting or finding who would be the right advisor on something if it's from an architectural point of view, as I'm a trained architect, would how would you find an architect or would you to ask for advice on something or a planner? Like,
0: How do you decide who to put into your the circle? Well, first of all, we have an amazing staff at HRM. Historically, people have been critical of bureaucracies. I'm very proud of the staff that we have at HRM, whether they're architects, planners, whether they're finance people, whether they're communications. Mm-hmm. So I think I, you know I rely on staff. In this day and age with social media, that that blows hot and cold. You get good, you get bad. You ain't got to pay attention to those things. But you also have to recognize that circumstances change. I think that there's a lot of people in the community that um, you can listen to. One of the cool things during COVID has been this thing that Patrick Sullivan set up through the chamber, the uh, business labor coalition group, uh, all coming together and recognizing common problems. So there's, there's enough people out there that want to help that you can find them. And, and one thing a mayor has is the power to convene. The mayor may not be able to do everything she or he wants in a city, but you generally have the opportunity to bring people in yeah. and get their point of view.
2: That is such a powerful position to be that your voice and ability to corral people is an instrument for change. Sure. And, yeah. um, you know, where you decide to put your time and what you want people to think of is a mayoral opportunity. and Correct. Uh, but but when, just on that point too, sure.
0: I, when I got elected, I said, I want to spend more time actually listening to what people have to say and actually thinking about things. And it doesn't come naturally to me because as mayor, it's easy to be outside of COVID. You know, you can do 12 events on a Saturday and, right. you know, all during the week. And the key really is to be a successful mayor is, to balance that with actually thinking about the big ideas of what a city needs and then trying to make them happen and convening the right people to get it done.
2: I'm curious in the sort of vision of what Halifax could be. Do you have a city, let's say outside of Canada that you hold in high regard or you feel as a kind of distant cousin to Halifax that shows a really good example
0: of the kind of thing we could place that we could be I don't I don't but there are parts of cities there's parts of Copenhagen that's a very cool thing you know that uh, that their Parliament they don't have cars they have bikes yeah, you really know do, people yeah. bike to work right mm-hmm. so that kind of you know um, impresses me there's parts of my home city of Belfast in in uh, in Northern Ireland there are Edinburgh and the world Mile you know there are things that Vancouver's done that that's been very impressive what i want us to be is a livable city and i think if you're a livable city that gives people the opportunity to be around people who aren't like themselves all the time that you you know you learn from all those bits and pieces we're not going to be a copenhagen um you know we're too hilly first of all to be a copenhagen and copenhagen is not a cheap city so but it's a beautiful like this I've, I've been to so many uh cape town i've been to cities that, and you always look at it and you learn and you think okay why do they have their traffic set up like this? And you know, why are their crosswalks are looking like that? And mm. why aren't people developing here? And what's making the difference there? So you ask those questions uh, all the time. Sure. I think we're pretty good, right? I, I, when I got elected mayor, I said, we, we should be looking at other cities and getting inspiration. And But I want people to look at us and get inspired. And more and more, I see people looking at Halifax and saying there's something going on there that we really like. Oh, yeah, for sure. I- My own kids used to say to me, they're 24 and 21. You know, they couldn't wait to get their education and go to Toronto or yeah. Montreal, Vancouver. And now they want to be in Halifax. To me, that's the greatest validation of where our city has been going. There is a lot more opportunity here, not just going away. There, there is. You know, uh, we have a great quality of life, mm-hmm. but I always tell people a great quality of life without a job really doesn't mean much. No, yeah. So there has sure. to be opportunity. And then the quality of life impresses people,
2: right? Yeah. You've been an advocate for biking around the city as being a key component in terms of making it livable how is it looking for the near future and how have you felt it is moving towards maybe not to the degree of Copenhagen, but what do you imagine in terms of bicycle transportation in the near future? Like, how do you see that playing out in Halifax?
0: Bicycling is, is surprisingly polarizing to me. Mm. I didn't know that there were people that hated bicycle lanes as much as there seemed to be. As a cyclist, I've
2: had, Objects thrown out the window on Herring Cove Road when I was on the
0: road because they didn't want me on the road. Well, <laughs> some of those people have is... sent me letters. So, yeah, I bet. Um, in government, you don't get elected to govern and create a community that you think is perfect. You have to create a community that is better for everybody. The only cycling I do these days is in my basement. I'd like to be one of those people who cycles more often than, uh, to work.
2: I want to say I find that makes me happy to hear you say that you actually aren't an avid cyclist, but you found that it is a priority for the city to have proper bike lanes. And that, that conflicting view is what I was talking about earlier, to, to be able to hold two opposing ideas at the same time and understand that both can exist and that's okay is, is I think, a way that we have to be considering the development of our cities.
0: Absolutely. Plus, you know, we have to, if we did referendums on whether we should have bike lanes, it might not pass. Because bike lanes are not so much about who's on them now. It's about who will be on them in five years if we build them and make them safe. In the same way that you don't have to be, uh, you know, LGBTQ plus to appreciate the fact that rights for gay and lesbian people makes us a better community. You know, I I remember somebody who was really opposed to same-sex marriage telling me, I can't believe, Mike, that because everybody that I talk to agrees with me, and I said, "Well, you know what? When the people that you're with all the time agree with everything you say, you got to get some new people. We really have to find a way to, to 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 reach out a little bit. So, and I just think biking is 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 where we have to go. Like, we have to change the way people think about moving themselves around a municipality. People need to walk more. We need to cycle more. You need to skateboard if that's what you do. You need to roll to work." These are things that progressive cities have in common. So I said a number of years ago, the McDonald bikeway, getting that fixed was something we would do come hell or high water. And uh, I believe that way. Some people don't agree with me on that. Um, But when you look at how much money traditionally we spend on roads and how little we've spent on active transportation routes, that that's a shift that has to change. It will change as part of our integrated mobility plan. And you don't have to agree with it, but You know, people who who bike to work, they spend money as well, right? It's not like if you take away one or two parking spaces that the world's going to come to an end. If you have more people biking,
2: they will spend more money downtown. If you have people walking, they will spend more money than those that are driving. And you can just, you can see the direct relationship because if you're driving, it's harder to stop at that last minute, you know, thing that you'd notice that you didn't know you wanted to buy until you walked by it. A lot of cities around the world going through that urban renewal, where everything was based around the car and the transition of, of a people place into a car place was detrimental to the health of the city.
0: Completely. To go back to the question about the cities I admire. So I've mentioned some of the ones I really, I really like. And then there's a couple that you go to and you think, I'm glad we're not like this. I spend a lot of time in Houston. That's I a, used to go twice a year a before COVID and great people. The mayor there is somebody I've come to know very well, love him, uh, Sylvester Turner. But what you have is a city that was designed, I wouldn't even say around a car so much as an SUV, where there's very little planning. And as a result of that, not only do you have a city that doesn't really have as much of a soul to me, but you have a city where the Hurricane Harvey devastated it. And a large part of that was because of the lack of planning uh, of the city and saying, you can put big buildings anywhere and and you can do whatever you want with it. So we've done some things, some things right. The cities I admire, the cities I think have made mistakes. And, uh, you know, there's things about Halifax that fit into both of
2: those categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in this place of city building. I, I, development is important to me. Change is really critical. But at the same time, we have to recognize what is a significant piece of our built environment that is worth keeping. What is your opinion on how we can go about preserving parts of our city that are important? without making them stagnant because you're just
0: encapsulating them. So I think it's funny, right? I mean, history is different in Halifax than it is in you know, Jerusalem or Rome or even London. You know, our history of the built environment is much shorter than theirs. The Mi'kmaq have been here for 13,000 years, but it was, uh, they weren't building skyscrapers, right? And I think that maintaining those buildings the look and the feel and the impact and the importance to our history of buildings who've been here f- for a long time is really important. I'm a history major. I love history. I love to feel history. I love to I love to get a sense of this is what happened here in 1789 or this happened in 1805. And I think that our heritage is really important. I also think it does need to be balanced. So for example, I personally like looking at a grand parade, my window, and I'll see St. Paul's church and I'll see the convention center. And I don't think there's any reason that, you know, like in London that you, the the old and the new can't coexist together. I believe they can. But the thing is when you, when you destroy something, you can't replicate it. So there has to be a, I think it's important that we do what we're doing, not only with individual buildings, but you know the Schmidtville Historical uh, Heritage District and the Barrington South Heritage District and other districts that we're looking at trying to keep and maintain the historical aspect of those buildings. Because there can be great vibrancy. And by the way, there can be great density in some of those buildings as well. Schmidtville is more dense than most other parts of, of uh, downtown Halifax. So I think... Um, Recognizing the, uh, the heritage aspect also is another thing that makes sense economically over the, over the long term. It doesn't mean you can save every building.
2: No, it, you, you can't for sure. And, um, you know, Lunenburg, for example, UNESCO World Heritage Site has its challenges now because it has evolved to a degree. But there are areas and there are buildings along the waterfront that they can't evolve into current day requirements. Like you can't put a beautiful old building and transform it into an apartment of some kind or like four or five people living into it because you can't have a new window. You can't put in a new door. You can't. So it's just impossible. So they become monuments to a time that was very different. And that that's just, that's the death of a city, right? Like it just, if you can't evolve and it's not this sort of organic changing organism, then it will just, You know, nobody will go to it. Nobody will be there. And if you don't have people, a city doesn't live or a place doesn't
0: live. I remember when Fred Connors ran for mayor the first year I did, and he used to say something to the effect of, I don't want the city to be an 1850s theme park. And so I think he was uh, making a good point. But see, a lot of this comes down to balancing points of view and making good decisions. And as city leaders, we have to do that all the time. And we should think very hard before we destroy a building that has historical importance uh, and our heritage folks in the city are, are very dedicated to to that and again it's a balance right we you know something that's built today will be heritage in 150 years and you know what are people going to think about it i'd like them to think that we were a growing city that never forgot our past but had an eye firmly on the future as well
2: yeah no absolutely so i've got a couple of fun questions that i wanted to ask you as we're oh, good um winding down to still like of boxers a, or briefs that kind of thing it is a little bit of that you know what is your favorite city then, outside of Canada?
0: Well, I'll give you two, and I maybe they're more more of the heart than the head, but Belfast because I was born there, and Boston, which I think is a city not unlike us, that with whom we have a very strong affinity, and I spend some time there. And the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, who I got to know quite well, is now in Joe Biden's uh, cabinet, so he won't be the mayor anymore. But Boston, Belfast, or a couple of cities, Copenhagen was one uh, a great time for Edinburgh.
2: Right? Do you go down to? Uh... Uh, the tree lighting?
0: Yes. Boston every year? Yes. Yeah.
2: That's great. Last year was the
0: first year I haven't done that in, you know, five or six years. Oh, is that right? And uh, it's become a, anybody that hasn't done that might want to consider. It's a lot of fun. Maybe, maybe just really briefly,
2: if you can describe why that happens just for other people. Yeah. So
0: the Halifax explosion of 1917 happened in December the 6th. And that night there was a snowstorm in the city of Halifax. And people in the city didn't know what was happening. And why that is so important is that immediately the city of Boston mobilized and sent nurses, doctors, supplies up to uh, Halifax. Other cities along the way did as well. Communities, Boston was pretty special. So starting in 1970, the premier decided that we would send a tree down and it's become a real thing. It goes on the Boston Common. Thousands of people like Tens of thousands of people come out to see the tree lighting. And so the premier tries to go down. I've been down with Stephen a couple of times, uh, Leo Glavine, uh, Karen Casey. And I was pretty cynical. Is this really a thing? And when you actually get there, you get a sense, yeah, it is a thing. And not everybody in Boston knows about Halifax, but some people do. Right. And uh, so it's important. And I, I love it every year. I'll make sure that I go down some point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because I haven't actually ever been to Boston either. Plus we
0: stay, we stay, the Nova Scotia delegation stays at the Omni Parker Hotel, which is where the Boston cream pie was invented. (laughs) It's where John F. Kennedy proposed to Jackie Kennedy. Wow. And uh, it's got a, uh, the Parker Roll was invented there. It's, It's an old hotel. It's dumpy, but it's beautiful. No, it sounds great.
2: What is an object or thing that you feel was designed exceptionally well?
0: The Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower, that's a good one.
2: What is a book that you most often
0: give as a gift? Well, the greatest political book, the greatest how to succeed in business book, the greatest team sports book that I've ever read is Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin about Abraham Lincoln and how he bought people into his cabinet and effected enormous change by doing that. Uh, What politician or leader do you look up to? So anybody that knew me over the last 50 years of my life would know that Bobby Kennedy was my sort of political icon, believed in social justice. And he also had a hard edge to him, but he was he was uh, a leader on, on human rights, equality rights in the United States. Uh, he's somebody I admired uh, a great deal. Got a lot of time for Paul Martin, who Made me run for office uh, back in 2004 as a human being, as a business person, as a humanitarian. Martin Luther King Jr., I listen to his speeches all the time. But there's Canadians uh, as well. I've never met anybody with more integrity than my father. And mm. uh, uh, admire him, uh, Lester Pearson. There's a number of people that have had great impact on me.
2: What is the skill or talent that you have that would surprise most people?
0: I can name every prime minister of Canada the years they served and the order they served, uh, every president of the United States since uh, Lincoln. Is that a skill, a talent, or is that I, a I, sickness? That's a skill. I can't. Well, that's do a sickness. It. That's, that's, it. that's probably yeah. a. Uh, it's a sickness. fine line between the two. Yeah, and uh, I think, like probably every husband, that I'd be a great uh, stand-up comedian. As my wife often says, "You're not as funny as you think you are." And uh, yeah, we're all the <laughs> same. You're a dad, way. you've got you're dad there. jokes in you. Yeah, I do. I did actually appear at the Halifax Comedy Festival, and I think I was okay. And Mark Critch said I was the only one that dropped the F-bomb at that uh, taping, so. <laughs> Obama is, is one funny guy. I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, comedians
2: in cars getting coffee. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Yeah, you've seen the episode with Barack? On it? I
0: have not, but I... It's great. It, I think it probably is. And he's- I will tell anybody, if you want to learn about political timing, mm-hmm. watch Obama at the uh, press gallery uh, dinners, especially his last one where we did the mic drop and uh haven't seen that one the obama whisperer and uh obama had great timing great great timing and oh uh, yeah and also by the way it was an awesome president he he was he was
2: well thank you very much for taking the time in your schedule to to visit us and uh i have to say you know i i always i've seen you speaking and uh reading about you and i know one of the things that people do say about you which is uh that you're probably one of the most relatable mayors people can connect with you. And uh, I think that certainly is a superpower. And, um, just in our short conversation, I can certainly feel like I'd like to do it more often. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a wonderful person. Over a beer. And, uh, I'm serp-
0: certainly happy that you're our mayor. Thank well, it's very kind. I really appreciate, uh, being on the, uh, uh, on this uh, show and, uh, Really admire the work that Breakhouse uh, does uh, in the community and in shaping points of view and very successfully, too, as messy as it is here. So, Thanks thank you lot. so much. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to the Design Makes Everything Better podcast by Breakhouse, a Canadian strategic design firm. This was episode five with Mayor Mike Savage. A full transcript and show notes can be found at breakhouse.ca slash podcast slash five. If you like the show, help us out. Subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app and share us with your friends. Have feedback or ideas for the show? Drop us a line at podcast at breakhouse.ca.